Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Pod on the Time, brought to you by The Athletic. Make sure you subscribe to The Athletic to read great articles and get access to all 11 of our brand new podcasts. And just by listening to this show, you can subscribe now with a 40% discount by going to theathletic.com and using the code NEWCASTLEPOD. And now I have got rid of our admin. Hello, gentlemen. How are we doing? Mr. George Colgan and Mr. Chris Waff. Very good, thank you. How are you? I'm well. It's nice to have you back, Chris. Did you enjoy France? I very much enjoyed France, yeah. It was yes. very good. I would, I would pretend that I prefer to be here, but that would be a lie. But I am looking forward to this show, nonetheless. I'd like to instantly oh cast our minds back to the last podcast, where I described Andy Carroll as a wasted squad number, <laughs> and you described John Joe Shelby as a liability. Do you have anything to say about that, George? Yes, I rummaged in my wardrobe uh, this morning before coming out. I searched for my crown of thorns, but I seem to have mislaid it. I couldn't find the hair shirt which I've kept for special <laughs> occasions so I'm wearing very very tight and uncomfortable underpants Excellent. just to in some way sort of uh, explain my uh, my frailties from last week yeah I mean the good thing is if you if you want a Newcastle player to start doing well ask me to talk about him slag him um, off. and I'll <laughs> slag him off yeah Excellent. Um, I mean I do think there was some value in what we said. Absolutely. No, no, and I, I, do, I And do, I, I stand do. by it. But it has to be said that Shelby, I was at Sheffield United, and um, Shelby, another disciplined performance. There's obviously another goal. Um, and Carroll, albeit uh, did look quite rusty at Bromwell Lane, he was... Um, he was excellent when he came on in particular at the weekend. Yeah. So, you know, hold your hands up. Let's move on. Humble we pie. go again. Humble we go pie again. for dinner. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I, I think, like you say, there was a lot of value in what we were actually saying. Um, I know Michael disagreed with us at the time on, on some of our points, but um, I think history has taught us, you know, certain things about John Joe Shelby and certain things about Andy Carroll as well. And we were just speaking from, you know, we were speaking from the heart, from a position of experience yes, and, and from the heart, well. even though it was complete bollocks. It was a load of nonsense. It was a load of nonsense. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, seven points from three games Manchester City, Sheffield United, and Southampton. Could anybody say that? In if we'd, when we sat here recording our first podcast, did anyone see seven points coming from three games? Well, I certainly didn't, but it's also one of those things where if you'd have looked at this week in a different context, if they'd have got zero points from them, I don't think it would have been entirely surprising. So it's one of those yeah. bizarre weeks whereby they've got seven points and they thoroughly deserved it. But if it, all of those games were sort of on a knife edge, it, it's, the, it's the way that they're playing at the moment. They've, Dubravka kept them in, certainly, the second oh, two matches. I mean, some of the saves so. that he made. But there is a doggedness about them. There's a resilience. And they came back again. Uh, at St James's Park and, and won obviously at the, at the weekend and so to have got navigated that period and got seven points I certainly didn't see that at the start of the week if you'd offered me four I would have snapped your hand off so to, to, to leave it with seven I think is just huge I think that's the point I think the first thing you just have to say is great I mean and what a kind of relief it is and yeah. you know we're talking about Newcastle sort of locked firmly in mid-table it's much better than we expected at the start of the season certainly and it's it's on the one hand, it's not much fun to watch them play, but I tell you, it's it is fun to watch them win. And oh, you know, looking at the league table, you know, it does sort of bring a smile to your face. It's not where we want Newcastle to be, clearly, but it's much better than the alternative. That's the way I'd put it. Yeah, I mean, traditionally at Christmas, we don't we don't do brilliantly. 
I remember over the last few years, we haven't had great festive periods. And it does just, I think, just takes the pressure off a little bit, maybe. You know, I'm not I'm not saying they're going to take the foot off the gas or, they, you know, they, they can happily lose the next three games or whatever. But I do think it just gives them a little bit of breathing space, doesn't it? And you're looking up rather than looking down. It makes it a hell of a lot easier going into the next few games. You know, we're saying week on week after week, this is not sustainable. This is not sustainable. You can't go on. You can't go on sort of with that style of play. Your forwards not scoring goals or not scoring many goals, but they are sustaining it. So what's unsustainable is being sustained. And I, I mean, my my belief is that they'll come up. I mean, I think this this is probably the case for all teams in their you know, middle, lower parts of the Premier League, that, that there will come a run where Newcastle don't get results. I think that was just, you know, that happened yeah. last season, the season before. It's definitely stretching it to say that they're safer already, of course, but they have that cushion now and there are other bad teams beneath them. I want to speak a little bit in a bit more detail about the Andy Carroll thing. Now, I know we said recently that he looked immobile, he looked a bit sort of lacking match fitness. Surprising that he got a start against Sheffield United. I was massively surprised at that. But then again, Joe Linton hasn't exactly been pulling up trees. And what are the other options? So Carroll gets a start. And yes, he looked rusty. But we play in a different way when he plays, don't we? I mean, it's it's a completely different team. Yeah, well, Ralph Hasenhutl described him as being 10 feet tall again. He basically said that there's only one team playing football. I mean, I don't know what game he was watching because that's exactly how Southampton play as well. It's all about long balls, their second goal balls. Was, their goal was a long ball. Yeah, that's how they play. They, they yeah. look for second balls. That's exactly what they try and do. So it was, it was a strange thing for him to say. But yeah. in terms of the Andy Cowell thing, I'm going to throw George under a bus a little bit here because about two minutes, three or four minutes after he came on, I turned to George, who, to be fair, was was busy away working hard, and I said the complexion of this game has entirely I was doing changed. The <laughs> <laughs> and George sort of chuckled, and I was like, "No, I'm being serious. The complexion of this match has completely changed. Suddenly, Southampton were ten yards deeper than they'd been." when Joe Linton was on the pitch, suddenly Newcastle had that target hit. And yes, they did go direct, but Carroll won, I think it was 80% of the aerial challenges or whatever it was, and he was winning free kicks. He was getting Newcastle up the field. And it give, he gives them that focal point. What this, I do subscribe to the idea that if you put Salomon Rondon into this current team, Newcastle would, would look a lot better because they have that focal point. Joe Linton, I like parts of what he does, but he just seems to be lost at the moment. Carroll gives them that target and he really did change that match. And I thought that you saw how Newcastle struggled when he went off against Sheffield United as well in that respect. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I can, I can, I completely agree. In spite of uh, Chris, the uh, the tactical guru, massively mugging me off there, but um, but that's fair enough. And he he did change the game. He did change the game uh, on Sunday, Carroll. And he did look. He did look. As Steve Bruce said afterwards, you know, he looked like the Andy Carroll of ten years ago. That might be stretching a bit, but not very much. He was really effective. And he, I mean, I thought against Sheffield United particularly in the first half, he was immobile. It was that stuff we were yeah, talking yeah. about last week. He barely looked like he could move. But maybe that's maybe part of it is about getting that, those minutes into his legs. And, um, you know, he looked, when he came on, on on Sunday, he was everywhere. He did everything yet again like he was at Bramwell Lane, the best defensive clearance of the of the match. He did a header that went about 95 yards. Um, and <laughs> he was like bearing down. He was bearing down on people, and that is, I'd look, I think I pointed that out to you, Chris. When that sort of happened the first, you would not want Andy Carroll bearing down on you. Not in, in any way, shape not in any form. way, shape, yeah. or form. No. <laughs> but I, let's let's move on. In the first half, there was a moment where Carroll 
flicked the ball on into the box and Almiron didn't run onto it and he turned around and he berated Almiron. Yeah, he was too and far away from him. He was too far away from him, but that, that's what Newcastle have lacked as well. I mean, for Joe Linton, he's young, yeah. he's still adapting to this league. He he doesn't yet have the, the authority or the presence to be able to do that. Carroll will tell people to get on the end yeah. and that, that gave Newcastle something different and I think you see that, that element that he brings, a bit of leadership, which they, they certainly need up, up front. He he's He's fragile, he's got a brittle body, so we've got to hope that... We've got to hope that um, that he stays fit, but he, no, he he, it's it's that kind of player that this system needs, and you know, unfortunately with Jalinton, he was it was almost as if he wasn't there on 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 uh, on Sunday. He, uh, I described him as the incredible disappearing footballer, but I mean, it's difficult to know. I mean, you know, he looks lost. He does. He does look lost. We have to remember his age. We have to remember that it is his first season in the Premier League, and it can take time to adapt, but. That position just doesn't work for him. I, I said to George after the game, and I wondered now with the, it seems that Alan Sack Maximan's going to be out for a bit. Is this the time to not drop Joe Linton, but play him in that slightly different position? Do you play him off Carroll? Do you play him slightly wider and see if he can be more suited to that role? Because I would certainly, if Carroll's fit, start him against Burnley, for, given the way that they play and because of the form he's in. But see if Joe Linton can just bring a little bit more if he's facing towards goal rather than with his back to goals he has been all season. Part of me would quite like to see Carroll playing alongside Dwight Gale. Well, that was the other thing. That was the other thing we talked about. And obviously, this is—it's you know—the Gale situation is something that people talk about a lot for the obvious reason that Steve Bruce has tried to sign him plenty of times in the past and mm. rates him, and yet he's barely figured. And the reason he's barely figured is that he just does not fit into that system. Yeah. So, um, you know, it does need a target man. It does need somebody capable of holding the ball up. Um, and that is not his strength. His yeah. strength is scoring goals, though, and Newcastle don't score a lot of goals. So, you know, again, that shuffling of the pack, is there a way that Gale can be accommodated in this system? It's an interesting question. You wouldn't have thought so. So does that mean that then then there's a change of formation? And then, of course, you risk losing what sort of Newcastle have gained yeah. in the last few weeks. So, Chris, is it time to start giving Steve Bruce some credit? Yes, certainly. I'd... I, I, I didn't expect Newcastle United to be in the position they are in now. I thought there was, I mean, he refers to it as nonsense spoken about in the summer. I do think that there was that there was far too much negativity. I remember at the time when he was appointed saying, look, I am underwhelmed by this appointment. He wouldn't have been the person I appointed, but he is competent. And I had loads of people go, no, he's completely incompetent. He said, this, this guy has managed more than 900 games. This is not, you can't, you can accuse him of some things, but incompetence is, is not one of them. And he, he was an underwhelmed appointment. He wasn't exciting, but to have, navigated Newcastle into this position where as soon as it was confirmed that Rafa Benitez was leaving, in my opinion, Newcastle were just about going to be in a relegation fight. The majority of the squad is not Bruce's. The majority of the signings in the summer were already far along the way before Bruce was even appointed. So for him to have got 22 points by this stage and for Newcastle to be in 10th position, I think he deserves a heck of a lot of credit. Yes. Um, I mean, we've, we've, we've kind of written about this a lot um, on The Athletic and to the to the point where I I did a piece which started off me asking Steve are you a are you a clown are you a chump um, and things like that and he to his great credit he didn't punch me square in the face <laughs> because I probably would have um, yeah, I would have done the same actually. and and the reason I sort of did that was to sort of address that issue of competence and you know not to say that this fella's had a stellar career as a manager. But because he hasn't won anything and he hasn't been at the biggest biggest clubs in the world, but to manage one game in the Premier League might be a fluke, but to manage the number of games he has done mm. in the Premier League means that you're 
your I don't want to use the word part of the elite because that doesn't kind of suit his profile. But you level, have to be good. Yeah. You have to be good to do that. And I, th- I think a lot of that was about the use of language, yeah. and it was also, of course, about who who Bruce followed. And it's not just about, it wasn't that's not just about Rafa's capability as a manager. It was about what he represented, and what he represented was that hope and ambition, and the fact you know the feeling that Newcastle were a club that could go places. It was. A big stick. He was a, really a big sticking plaster over a wound. But when Steve comes in, it's a very different feeling. That's all understandable. But he certainly earned breathing space. He certainly earned a bit of respite. He's earned the nice round of applause he got off away fans at Bramall Lane uh, last week. And I think he's just. I think he has now earned the right to be to be treated on the basis of results, which is really all that should have happened in the first place. I totally get and un- understand the discord that there was there in the summer because that's what yeah. the club was like. And I wrote a piece, One of my, I think one of my, the last pieces I wrote in the Times was about knowing Steve for a long time but kind of wishing he hadn't taken the job because, yeah, it'll, might, yeah. because it'll chew him up. And, you know, that, that, that was sort of how I felt. It's kind of how I still feel. But... Um, he's done. He's done really well. He's done really well. I get it. I, I mean, I get it from a fan's point of view. I, I get the reaction, the initial, you know, the disappointment, Absolutely, and yeah. the the kind of the feeling of this is a backward step because I think a lot of fans felt like that. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of fans didn't retake up season tickets off the back of that and that kind of thing. I get that massively. If I mean, Rafa goes, we go. Yeah. If yeah, Rafa yeah. goes, we go. I get it, and I know why. Uh, We're not playing pretty football. Let's no, be honest. No, no. It's it's pretty bad to watch. It's but awful. I don't care if we win. Yeah. It's about. Do, do the ends justify the means? And at the moment, they do for Newcastle. And I have to be honest, the last two seasons, a lot of the football has been relatively turgid. I mean, I can't I can't even count the number of Newcastle matches over the last two and a half seasons that you sat at St James's Park and for large parts thought, this is... This is, <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah. What expansive stuff. <laughs> I mean, me and George for the first half kept turning each other and just being like, oh, God. I mean, it was like that. The first half on Saturday was, was, was particularly bad, but then it was similar to a lot of previous experiences but then by the end of the game the fact that they've won the way that they came back and won the way that they kept on going being up into 10th place in, in the in the league 22 points then you, you you do enjoy the rest of the week regardless of the fact that for the large part of those 90 minutes it was awful absolutely Monday morning I really couldn't give a toss about how we played on Sunday it was the fact we won well that, that we, was it and Chris and I this is the this is the, that was the piece that we wrote over the weekend um about about that match but also about Newcastle's Newcastle's history and the way we kind of phrased it not the team that hates football but the team that shuns shuns the football and how over three years possession starts have got less and less and less and less but it was something that Benitez thought he had to do to, to get results and to get and to make the best use of a limited squad and how um, although Steve came in in the summer with the idea of cha- of changing that and playing front foot football, it's just not been possible, and so they've reverted to this. So it's it's not something that the manager wants. It's not particularly something that the players wants. It's not something that fans would want, you know, in an ideal world. But it's working for them at the minute. To borrow a, a phrase that my old dad used to say quite often, needs must when the devil vomits in your kettle. Now, I don't know what that means, but, <laughs> but I think it's, uh, it basically sums up what we're doing at the minute. We're having to play a certain way. And George, you spoke to Isaac Hayden after the, uh, after the Southampton game and, uh, and, and had a little chat about this. Uh, let's have a little listen to that exchange. Does it sort of make you less of a footballer if you have less of the football? 
I know that's a weird. Yeah, question. it's a weird. No, it's. I know what you're saying. It's difficult because obviously, like I said I, I was. I've grown up passing the ball and, and playing and getting on the ball and passing. But you know, we every manager's different, every football club's different, and you have certain different styles that everyone brings in and everyone gets used to. And you know, I think the Championship, we were you know passing yeah. the ball a lot, scoring lots of goals. The first season in the Premier League, we were the same thing really. And then obviously. We had a bad spell last year and then we had to sort of alter what we're doing to get our confidence back. And I think that we've been playing the same way now for quite a while and it's almost difficult to break that sometimes. But I think the start of the season, we've, we've had a decent start to the season and I said hopefully we can you know, start being a bit more expansive, a bit more you know, possession-based. But at the end of the day, it's about results. It's a results-based business and we're getting the results. And is that where the enjoy... I mean, do you enjoy that? that do you enjoy... Well, today was, today was not enjoyable. I'll, I'll, I'll admit to you, today was, yeah, not enjoyable. But um, I think you're going to get games like that during the season. Yeah. Not every game's going to be, you know, where you're on the ball, passing it around and, you know, popping the teams and playing possession-based football. I, mean, I think it was... Watford, I think at home where we had 51%, they had 49, yeah. but it was a draw. So yeah. you know, at the end of the day, would you would fans rather see 51% possession and a draw, or 40% or 35% but a win? Making some good points there, Isaac Hayden, I think, definitely. Yeah, and you know, the interesting thing is he did come through Arsenal. I mean, he 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 comes from a club that had absolutely the opposite approach and is criticised now for kind of keeping the ball for beyond the point of sort of any any use but um and is now part of a very different team i mean i kind of it was a bit cheeky asking a footballer are you less of a footballer without the football i was gonna mention that does having less of the football make you less of a footballer but well it was i know him so it was okay and he took he took it with a smile well i just find it astonishing that we've reached this point in mid-december when newcastle haven't had more possession in any game this season than, than than the opposition 16 matches in mid-December at St James's Park this is interesting because there's a quote within the article from Graham Souness talking uh, on Sky Sports last year saying that, that he it would have been unacceptable for him to play that way when he was Newcastle manager and it, that is true it would have been he wouldn't have been allowed to play to have reached this point of a season but it's different expectations it's the way things have changed it's, Newcastle have been relegated twice since then the squad being slowly rebuilt and there hasn't been that investment so Newcastle are now maximising their resources it, 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 it's a shifting landscape but as long as they're winning games, I think Newcastle United fans are going to are going to be happy watching that, as you say, because for the rest of the week they can enjoy themselves. I tell you what, I would sit and watch that every single game for the rest of time if it meant we picked up three points at the end of the game. I genuinely don't care. I don't care about not having the ball. But do you not care? I mean, do you not care in a theoretical sense? I mean, so what I mean is, so my touchstone uh, for, when I think of Newcastle, I'll I'll be on my on my deathbed and I'll think of Kevin Keegan and I'll think of you know the entertainers and that's and and for me that is the that is the touchstone for how Newcastle play now my earlier memories are of really really shit football and 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 bad teams and stuff like that but that will always be my touchstone I still find it kind of unusual to be sitting at St James's Park and seeing the home team sit back as much as they are at the minute because my my urge is to see them pour forward and to, and for the crowd to be urging everyone. But of course, the game has changed, the club has changed, expectations have changed. To use a word I don't like, and you know the whole. And so, part of it, I sort of think it 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 reflects the club Newcastle are at the moment, and that is a sort of political point in some ways because it's 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 a club which is sort of about 
sporting austerity and they're playing a, fo- a version of footballing. You know, it's, this is a version of footballing austerity. It's not a team that is being expressive, mm. that is investing, that is giving everything of itself in an attacking sense. It's much more limited than that. It's a limited way of playing football. I mean, the, the, the crowds this season are down. We had a, a an obvious kind of uh, protest, a walkout, you know, a, a boycott, whatever word you want to use to describe it. Excuse me while I try and fit some words into my head. The attendances are down sort of 43,000, I think, was the roughly there or thereabouts, the attendance uh, for the Southampton game. Now Newcastle have come out and said they've got this scheme of giving away a free half-season ticket to current season ticket holders. Eligibility criteria applies, obviously. What do we think about this? Um, I'll, I'll let you go first because I've... I'll probably explode when I talk about this. Well, having sat in an empty part of the stadium to watch the Wolves game this season for an article, which you can read on The Athletic, um, I can see from that sense, I can see exactly why you would want to build up the atmosphere because it was strange to be almost peripheral in a, in a stadium which still had 40-odd thousand people in it, but then there's also these pockets of, of almost nothingness within there. And... On Saturday, uh, Sunday, sorry, certainly for the first half, the atmosphere was low, and I think it's been low for a lot, uh, down, sorry, for a large part of the season, been quite quiet, and there are those, those, those gaping holes, and I can, I can see why the club are trying to get more people in the ground. It, it, it seems that they've let it drift, but now they're accepting that the atmosphere is suffering and that they do need to make a change for that. I see it as a positive in a lot of sense to try and get people in, but I also understand why it's controversial that people have boycotted, people have made the decision to give up their season tickets and they're just almost, well, they are giving away tickets to try and get people in. I understand both sides of it, but overall, I think that it's a positive to try and get that ground full. It's, I mean... Newcastle is will always be a yes but football club so you can't look at so on the face of it what are they doing they are giving away free half season ticket tickets to season ticket holders what is not to love about that well you can't help but sort of feel cynical about everything they do yes. and yeah. and if it ends with, with a full stadium you know everybody every uh, theoretically we all want a newcastle stadium to be full and buzzing and lively having a full stadium doesn't necessarily mean a great atmosphere though no no no, no absolutely absolutely no take all that it has to be driven by what's going on on the pitch doesn't it 100% and so you can you can make an argument to say that really what the club should be doing is addressing the issues behind why there are lots of empty seats as opposed to just trying to fill those empty seats. I, I mean, I personally, I do think it's a cynical move. I think it's a it's a way of filling the ground on the cheap. And I think the people who are going to be coming in are not the same people who have, who have left. I think the people who have left are the ones who in the past maybe have been driving the atmosphere. The noisy ones, people yeah. who've been there for a long time. And what you might get now is you might get kids you might get and I'm not there's no in no ways I'm saying one Newcastle fan is any worse or better than any other Newcastle fan but if your prime motivator for doing this is for driving atmosphere and to get the atmosphere up the people who've left and the people who've come in they're, they're different people and I think personally I would much rather see them show a bit of ambition go for something in the cups try and put a bit of a cup run together refresh the squad in January and I think that is the way, but that's going to cost money. That's going to be, you know, they're going to have to invest in the team and all that sort of stuff. I personally think that dishing out the free season tickets to current season ticket holders, to me, it's kind of a, it's like, it's a bit desperate. I think it, it feels a bit desperate and it feels a bit small time for Newcastle United. And I don't think we're the type of club who should be doing this. 
We always go on about how we've got wonderful support, we've got great fans, all this sort of stuff. The reason that people are not there is because the club have consistently showed a lack of ambition over the last few years. It's They've let people down, and now people have had enough. I yeah. just, I, no, I, I mean, think I, this I, is why I think it's a cynical attempt. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there were, there, there were so many like competing sort of emotions about something like this. I spoke to somebody who worked at, at the club for a long time, and we were actually having a chat about sort of Mike Ashley and things like that. And that, that the conversation was, you know, it reinforced a lot of things I knew. One, one of the things that was said though was that he never, Ashley, has always recognised that. Um, a full stadium is a better stadium, and you know that that was reflected in prices for tickets and season ticket. You know, one thing he hasn't done is try and screw fans with huge, you know, with huge season ticket prices rises and stuff like that. And that's you know, there's been that thing about ten years and all that. But they said that is completely undermined by the stupid decision that would come a week later or two weeks later or a month later and stuff yeah. like that. So, you know, perhaps perhaps I've got no idea. Perhaps this is a decision that has been made like that, you know, oh let's 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 get the stadium full. But it doesn't address it doesn't address the underlying things. And Absolutely I not. suppose, you know, it is a concern if the discontented people who've stayed away are also the loud pe- are also the loud people what happens you know what happens in the future does st james's park simply become you know a library as as the song would go but i think the problem as well that newcastle united mike ashley's newcastle united have is that they now are in a position where they can't win no matter what they do that's that's what he is the decisions that he's made over the last 13 and a bit years Newcastle are in a position where everything is viewed cynically first before anything else, and so this is this is another. And there is, I can understand why you believe there is a cynical element to it. I hope that there isn't, but I understand why you see that. But that's that's where Newcastle United are as a club now. That the, the the ownership there is so much distrust there that I think no matter what decisions are taken, the St Andy Carroll in the summer, it's seen as a we're just doing this because some supporters say they're just doing that because it's to try and win curry favour with supporters, and that that's that is that is the problem that they've got and that is because consistently they've made poor decisions and consistently yeah, think, they have they have I think if the history wasn't there yeah to, to this long list of absolute bullshit that's came from the club then maybe we will I wouldn't feel like this right so um moving on from that um I want to talk about the Burnley game on Saturday coming up we've got a few injuries now so maximum looks like he's going to be out for a few weeks at least Kieran Clark felt his calf apparently uh, on Saturday, uh, Sunday as well, and he's going to be out for a, a little while. What, what, what is Steve Bruce going to do with this team now? I mean, I said that Southampton was a challenge in one sense, and it was because Newcastle, in theory, couldn't play exactly how they wanted. Now they they are coming up against the team who are second bottom of the possession stats this season. So it's two teams who essentially don't want the ball. It's just uh, the ball in the centre <laughs> circle, and just both teams backing away from it slowly. So I, I mean, I would be shocked. If Andy Carroll gets through this week of training, does not start. I think that if there'd been longer between the two matches, he probably would have started against yeah. Southampton. So I think he will come on. As I said, the Sam Maximan one's interesting because you have the option now of do you do you do you bring Joel Linton into a different position? Do you try the two of them together? Because Bruce has suggested that you've got Atsu. I think you'll play Atsu. I, I I really do think you'll play. Atsu. I wouldn't be surprised, although I think that. I think it. I think it presents that perfect opportunity to play Joel Linton in that different position, just mm. to see if he can give something different. Now, I'm not saying he will, but Clark going out of the team brings Cher back in, and and I think that we saw the last five minutes on Sunday that Cher is better, and actually the right centre back position. He came on the central centre back position, 
and I thought that he struck up. I made that terrible error for the. For yeah, the I mean, I still have no idea what yeah. he's doing for that. But th but the interesting thing about Cher coming back is that it then does alter the sort of dynamics of. In fact, it alters the dynamics of the way Newcastle play because he is capable of being on the ball and he is capable of bringing yeah. it out and bringing it forward. When Cher was in the team, it was easier to leave out Shelby because. Uh, because because Cher was good at passing the ball around. Obviously, that's not going to happen the way Shelby's playing at the minute. But it does sort of alter the dynamics of the team again. In that in that sense, really losing a centre half is the one thing that doesn't matter because they because there are there are six of them. Fernandez as well, I think, has been playing brilliantly recently. Has, I think he's been yeah, really superb, really good. Superb. So I think he has to keep his place. I really do. He has to keep his place with, uh, like you say, with Clark going out. I think it'll be a, a case of Cher coming in for him and probably Dummett as well, still playing at the back as part of that three. St. Maximum going out, we've said before, Atsu potentially to come in. Um, and Jalen, and I don't know. I, I, I genuinely don't know what to do with that lad. Well, Newcastle have relied on St. Maximum the last few weeks to get them up the pitch along with Almiron. So they're going to lose that element. Now, he, Atsu, I like, and, and he's a very proficient player, but he doesn't have that same ability to really carry the ball and, and, and take people on. So Newcastle are going to have to adapt a little bit without St Maximum. They have been relying on him to a degree in that in that sense, and it's going to be interesting to see how they do cope with their way. Bruce basically admitted that he was kicking himself after the game because yeah, of fitness, that, yeah. which is... I mean, it was... It was in, in hindsight, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was refreshingly honest. So, Chris, you uh, recently uh, had a little trip to France, didn't you? Eh, mais oui. Oh! Another lingo there. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, how was that? And what were you doing while you were there? France was was brilliant. I went to Montpellier, which I had never been to before. Th thoroughly recommend the city for a start, but also the company when I was there. So I met uh, with Laurent Robert, former Newcastle United oh. winger. I'm sure he needs no introduction, really, but I just have anyway. Um, <laughs> so he is now a youth coach at Montpellier and also coaches their forwards. One of his sons is uh, on the fringes of the first team there. So I saw him train. I saw Robert uh, take a training session. And then we also went for lunch. When I first arrived at the training ground, he provided us with, with baked goods as well. Pastries, French, French croissant, which were lovely. Robert looks a little bit different now. Has a greying beard. Yeah. Um, but uh, still that incredible character that, that he was here he's mellowed a little bit but i've had a read of that of that robert article like you've it's just come onto the website today and it's absolutely brilliant oh, it's I mean, a beautiful piece it's some beautiful lovely piece. lovely stuff in there we're going to have a little listen to the uh, the audio that you captured from him as well uh, and we'll be back in a sec when sir bobby robson came to you and said i want you to come play for newcastle everything will be fine that he was one of the reasons you wanted to sign can you just talk a little bit about your relationship with him at, at newcastle as, as the manager it's like my my father when I came there. He protect me and uh, give me his confidence every day. When uh, after the game we back uh, to Newcastle, he take me pick me up in my home. We speak uh, a lot. It's like my father, Bobby Robson. And so it was a good it was a good environment in the dressing room then you said you said that, that everyone seemed to get along so was there was it positive within within the dressing room yeah always Roberto yeah. Solano with the trumpet every morning you know good wake up we have good wake up <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we walk out every day and uh, it was going well on the pitch off the pitch that team had a reputation for, for, for Legan to go into town to, to party. Did, did you join in that? Did you enjoy that? Oh, yes. <laughs> Key sign. 
It was very good. <laughs> yeah, we all with all the players after the game, we, we go to take some beer, something like that. And after that, when uh, we come back to training ground, you need to, you know, this weekend is finished now. Next week, you need to win again. There we go. That was lovely, wasn't it? A well, nice sort of blanket of nostalgia has dropped over the studio. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was a. I mean, he was, he was. It was brilliant spending the day, the day with them, and it was funny because Matt first turned up at the training ground. His his eldest son, uh, Matt Deer, was there with them as well, and uh, he was sort of acting as his translator. He didn't actually need a translator, but we, the first part of the interview lasted about 35, 40 minutes before training, and then all of a sudden he went, "Can we stop now? I'm tired speaking English," and then just sort of walked off and re- started going. And that doing sounds training. like the Lauren <laughs> Rivera, <Ribeiro, laughs> no? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Can we stop now after thirty five minutes? I'm tired. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, and then and then he stripped off in the dressing room, which was. Similar to when he his last appearance, and his little club. tiny grey underpants. <laughs> horrible. Was he, he was wearing boxers this time. Oh, boxer right. shorts. Okay, but, good. but yes, that was that was a surreal experience because it just sort of brought those those flashbacks. But you eat. I mean, he he just is how you would expect him to be as well. Because there was one moment where I asked him about. Uh, so Bobby Robson basically said that, that he was the most uh, infuriating player he'd ever worked with. He loved him, but he was infuriating. And I, would, I asked him about tracking back, and he genuinely, until about three or four questions into that, didn't have a clue what I was talking about. He said, what do, he said, what, what do you mean I didn't track back? And I was Thought like, well... something to do with Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually a sort of smirk came up on his face, and he sort of said, yes, so Bobby did used to chat to me a little bit about that. And But he was just, yeah, just very honest, very funny, and just, just that, that, that character you'd expect. For me, I always, thinking back for Robert, and obviously Solano playing on the other side of the pitch as well. I mean, two incredible wingers that we had. And they were wingers, weren't they? They were guys who, they got chalk on their boots and they whipped the ball in and all of that other sort of jumpers for goalposts carry on. But I think for him, the, the, the absolute rocket of a left foot that he has well, I'd say the one disappointment when I watched a training session was that he, he curled in a few crosses and he did a few headers, but he didn't actually take a rocket of a he shot. And that, that, was, that, was, that was my one disappointment. Although probably for my own protection, that was a good thing because if that had hit me, then I wouldn't yeah, have come back. Absolutely. You'd have stayed hit. <laughs> for me, the, the one-man goal of the season uh, competition against uh, Tottenham sticks in my mind massively. And also the acrobatic overhead back heel against Fulham. I'm still, I'm, I, I, I watched that. And I still can't figure out how he does that. It's just incredible. Well, you referred Absolutely to it as a ninja goal. Uh, ninja goal. Spoke to him. Wow. Yeah, because he, he basically said, asked him like what went through his mind, and he said, "Well, the ball was crossed in," and he said, "And I realised I can't head this. I can't hit it forward. I'm just going to f- fling my body at it essentially and see what happens. <laughs> see what happens." Yeah. <laughs> and, well, it was a fantastic goal. I love I love pieces like that. I mean, Chris has handled this one absolutely exquisite exquisitely it's a really beautiful piece i recommend anyone reads it but it is that sort of happy sad memory of when newcastle were were really good um and you know also that sort of you know reminder that he he was sort of saying how much he loved the club yeah and it's a bit of a shame if not worse that he hasn't been invited back which is something else he talked about mm. but how he viewed it viewed it as a home and things like that and how how this city and this club can get under people's skin and make make them fall in love with it yeah. and that is the power you know we've 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 talked about positive stuff around the club um this week but also some of the sort of negative historical stuff the club at its best is that magnet it's a magnet on match days that draws people to yeah. it and it has been a magnet for proper talent, for proper characters. And it's been, you know, it's been great. It's been great in the past. We haven't won anything in kind of living memory for most of us. But there was a time when, when kind of Newcastle were kings. And it's, it's lovely to be, to be reminded of that. 
Fantastic. Well, chaps, I think we're going to wrap things up there. Thank you very much for listening, uh, all of you dear listeners at home. And uh, thanks a lot, lads, for, for, uh, for coming in again. I hope you're all well and we shall see you soon. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to theathletic.co.uk and use your code uh, Newcastle Pod for a 40% discount on your subscription. Thanks a lot, George. Welcome. I can't wait to get these pants off. <laughs> They are your pants you're talking about. They are not mine. They are. Yes, excellent, right. Not Lauren Robert's. (laughs) Not Lauren Robert's pants. Thanks a lot, Chris. Cheers for coming in. Thank you. Excellent. And we shall see you soon.